Welcome to the Painting Lines Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? Set. Aiden, how about you give us a little background on the big three to start things off? The big three are, I mean, they're really a special, a special combination of players. It's really an anomaly that they all came around at the same time. And I think we're really lucky that we got to see them for most of my life. Uh, it really started with Federer when he turned pro in 1998. Uh, he was 17 years old, and it only took him one year to break into the top 100, which he did in 1999. Uh, he won his first title in Milan in 2001 and got his first Grand Slam at Wimbledon in 2003. But he really... His dominance started in 2004 when he won three Grand Slams and 11 titles. And at that point, he was already being considered one of the best players of all time. And he was only 23 years old. Nadal came onto the scene a little bit at a younger age, but it was a little bit later than Federer. He turned pro in 2001, but he was only 15 years old. He ended up breaking into the top 100 in 2003 and then won his first title in 2004 in Sopot, Poland. And then he won his first Grand Slam the following year at the French Open. Uh, finally, Djokovic turned pro the latest. He turned pro in 2004 at age 17. And he broke into the top 100 in 2005 and won his first title in 2006 in Am Amersfoort, Netherlands. And then his first Grand Slam actually came two years after that at the 2008 Australian Open. So that's kind of like a quick background of uh, how these guys emerged onto the scene. And, yeah, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for giving our audience a little context. But wow, what what a trio in sports! Like you said, I don't I don't think there's anything like that or been anything like that. How yeah. about we start with who your favorite is of the big three and why? Oh, well, that's a tough question because it's hard not to say Federer is your favorite. I think he's probably everyone's favorite because of how smooth his his game is, how beautiful it is to watch. It's like as as artistic as tennis can get that's fetter it's but an art if if you're looking at it's i have to say probably my favorite at this point is djokovic because of just how powerful his mindset is mm -hmm. i think watching when I, what turned it turned me from a fetter fan to a djokovic fan was really the 2021 french open when he beat Sitsipas coming back from down two sets to love it you just saw him flip a switch in his mind and just mentally break Sitsipas. I can't believe you flipped. What a traitor. <laughs> it, it's a tough, it's, it's tough though, but uh, he, he, he's just so it's, it's crazy to see how mentally strong he is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Federer for me. He's my favorite. Um, I do respect Djokovic immensely though, just because he's always kind of played that villain role out of the big three. Like it was always Federer Nadal starting up. And then people didn't really give Djokovic credit. Like fans are very disrespectful to him. The media didn't really portray him like they did Nadal and Federer. So even though Federer is my favorite of the big three, I think I respect Djokovic the most. I think he's had to come through or get over the most adversity of them. Um, I know Nadal's struggling right now with the, the injuries. He's... <laughs> Can't believe he's still going, but I it's, think Djokovic is going to emerge, you know, the absolute goat. 
it's pretty crazy to see like the amount of injuries and stuff that Nadal has gone through. Like I remember way back in like t- 2012 or something for the Olympics, Nadal ha- already was having knee issues and stuff like that. And now he's been playing for like 10 more years. Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. All right. So we established our favorites and why, how about you said, uh, you said that was a pretty tough question, huh? Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this then. Who do you think could have been great if it wasn't for the big three? Oh my gosh. Well, we do have kind of something we can go off of for that because we know how many times these guys beat, they, they were in finals and they beat a, a person that had ever been in a final before or never ended up winning a final. So if we look back all the way back in, in 2003, Federer was already beating people that never ended up winning a title. Uh, we have people like Philippousis, Baghdadis, uh, Gonzalez, uh, and Soderling. They all lost to Federer in finals and then never ended up winning a title and retired. Oh, Soderling especially is a crazy one because he beat Nadal in like it was such a famous match because I believe it was the first time Nadal ever lost at Roland Garros and so he beat Nadal and you're everyone was like wow this guy is how did he just do that and then Federer beat him and it won his only French Open wow for me I'm gonna go with Andy Roddick I would have loved to see him you know, come on the scene, have a career. Like when he won that U.S. Open in 2002. Yeah, it was it was around there. Yeah, maybe yeah. 2003. You know, he was supposed to be the next big guy. He was going to go get out there, be a savior of American the, tennis. Uh-huh, exactly. But because of Feder. Yeah, you look at guys like that or like guys like like Songa or Burdich or or even Kevin Anderson later on, you're looking at guys where they had chances to win these finals and they just, because of their, the fact that they happened to reach their peak at the same time as possibly the three best players of all time, you just, you can't, they never got the chance to actually win anything. I know, I know. I mean, Roddick, especially, like you mentioned, he lost four Grand Slam. He won his one, but he lost four Grand Slam finals all to Federer. Oh, I can't even imagine. That must just have been such a toll on your head right there. Like, how do you go out and play a sport where you just lose more than you win? I'm, yeah, that, that's it's, it's, it's really difficult to imagine. Hmm. All right, let's get into how you would rank the big three. And we could do subjective rankings too, because we know, you know, statistically, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, based on titles, wins, well, time at number that, one. Is that the objective ranking? I don't really know if that's the. I think that even How, objectively, you could you could say that you could you could without being overly subjective put Federer above Nadal. How would you do that? Well, the way that. I justify it in terms of the statistics is if you look at just their head to head, right? I'm fairly confident that Nadal has more head to head wins, Mm -hmm. but if you look at the by surface, Federer actually 
has a better record against him on hard court and on grass. Mm -hmm. You're just looking at how dominant Nadal was on clay. So the, the ranking of them objectively really depends on how much you weigh how dominant Nadal's clay court performances are. So would you discount that in a sense? Like kind of I think well, I think if you examine it as like, oh, only a third of it, only a third of the matches are on clay. So like count that for one third. And you say, okay, one third goes to Nadal, but then one third go or two thirds goes to or to Federer. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it that way, you could say Federer is better on more surfaces. So therefore he's the better player overall. But okay. then you also have to balance that with Nadal was just so ridiculously dominant and just I, his record is so crazy against Federer on clay that you could say, okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he had a slightly worse record on these other two surfaces because on clay, it was just so one-sided. So what camp are you in then? I have to say that I'm in the camp that I think Federer is the better player overall. Cause I think that clay court is such a, it's not, it's a small portion of the season. Like if he was that dominant, I think on hard court, like if he dominated Federer that like much on hard court, I would say that uh, Nadal is the better player. But because clay court's such like a specified aspect of it, I have to rank him Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. Do you okay. so you think that do you think that Nadal is the better player over Federer? No, 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 no. I'm my ranking is Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. And oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you can't deny Djokovic's, you know, statistical greatness with the most majors, most wins, uh, most time at number one. And then yeah, kind of like you uh, said, Steffi Graf last week. So yeah, that's pretty crazy. Congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, I'm just, a, I'm, you know, subjectively a Federer fan. Like you said, it's an art watching him play and, the way he just sets up points. I think he has the best tennis IQ of all of them, for sure, just watching him play. I think and also a thing about Federer that's that's great to watch is he did he wasn't afraid of hitting the junk ball. Mm -hmm. Like you right. look at someone like Kyrgios now where he throws out <laughs> 300 junk balls in a in a match and you're like, okay, whatever. It it's, doesn't mean as much. But when, when Federer would hit a tweener or he would hit something between his legs or he would just drop shot out of nowhere, it was such a crazy thing because you even even though he did it like a surprisingly large amount, you would see it and you'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just did that. And that's, I think, one thing that made him even better. To watch. He's like, you never knew what he was going to do next. Yeah, I know. I know. But I do think Nadal is the biggest hustler. Oh, I 100%. think he is a grinder out there, you know, just watching him get balls that I I would think were over. Those points are done, you know, even the other even the opponent would just kind of sit there and look at that pretty little drop shot and then be like scrambling. Oh shoot. He just got that. And then I think that's a big part of his game. Just never conceding points, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, one, one of my favorite matches to kind of compare or two matches to compare when you're looking at how like aggressive of a hustler and how, how tough it is to get the ball past Nadal on clay is, uh, the mat the difference between the two matches in 2019 that happened like a month apart which was Federer versus Nadal both times one was at the French Open and one was at Wimbledon and you if you watch those matches 
in the first match, it doesn't look like Federer even belongs on the court with Nadal. He's Nadal is so dominant. Like Federer could not get a single ball past him because just he would hit it and the clay would just pick it up and stop it and Nadal would get to it and he would ne- he could not get the ball past him. Then you watch the match a month later at Wimbledon and all of a sudden it's like a different a different players. And all of a sudden Federer all of his shots are winners and he he beats Nadal handedly in I think four sets. Wow. No, it's demoralizing playing against an opponent that just puts everything back, you know? It's just like come on and then it's a slippery slope from there because you just get more frustrated with yourself you start you know being more aggressive making moves that you probably wouldn't have before and then the the match just gets out of hand you start losing yourself yeah and i mean that's why mental that's why tennis is such a mental game i mean it's like that like like that match i was talking about earlier the the french open with djokovic and Tsitsipas. like you look at that match and you're like, how did Sitsipas lose this? And it was just because as at, when Djokovic turned that mental switch and he wasn't missing anymore, all of a sudden Sitsipas started doubting himself. He's like, I can't get it past this guy. What's going on? And just it just exactly like you're talking about, the slippery slope just mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't get through it. I I love remember how I said I respect Djokovic? I think his mindset is the best in the game. He's got that, you know tough gritty eastern european mindset where um this one story i love i love hearing it where he's a kid he's gathered around his you know family table they're very poor in serbia and his dad puts a dollar on the table smacks it and says like this is it this is all we have we like you when you play tennis go out there and give it your all because you come from nothing you have nothing to lose like make this your life and he's done exactly that he's got that lion mentality to him you know he goes out there gives it at all played you know brutally injured in the australian open pretty sure he had a like a quarter of an inch hamstring tear and he's still went out there and got it done you know this guy gets there yeah, doesn't I mean, take advantage of of anything yeah keeping that hungry wolf mentality is is tough too i mean like you look at it in other sports this is slightly tangential, but if you look at someone like Conor McGregor when he was coming up, how dominant he was when he was like 25, 26, and then all of a sudden he gets all the stuff he wants and he has all this money and he just kind of falls off a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, and it's 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 hard to keep that mentality going when you're already at the top. So yeah. the fact that Djokovic can... Djokovic, I mean, really all of them, the fact that they can stay at this peak level, I think that's what made one of the parts that made them so great was they were able to push each other to mm-hmm. stay at the top. I think if if any one of them had been this dominant alone, they wouldn't have won as many titles and stuff. They probably mm-hmm. would have taken more time off because there was without someone to compete against, it's really hard to push yourself to to get to that next level. Right. And that that uh that brings us into our next question. Like, do you think the big three overall positively or negatively impacted tennis? And you said it yourself, I think that, you know, they did push each other. They made this sport so entertaining to watch with the rivalries, the drama, the you know, victory speeches, the loser speeches. I just enjoyed 
watching those three go at it. And, you know, it's, it's sad to see Fetters long Fetters retired joke. Um, Nadal's on his way out. And then right now it's just Djokovic beating up on all these, all these new generation guys. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of overall positive, I think you have to say because of like the impact on the world, like the tennis world and like just the amount of energy they brought to fans and how entertaining they were, you have to say they were a positive, but you can't discount how much of a like negative they were to other players. Like we already talked about some of the people that have retired that they never won a final, but there are still guys that are playing like Sitsipas, Berrettini, Kyrgios, Rude. These guys have all like lost finals and they have they 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 haven't gotten the chance to break through because of the big three. Like mm-hmm. all these guys are still in the league. I mean, even Medvedev and team who have wins, it's like they've lost multiple finals to the big three. And you have to consider that to be a negative because these other guys' careers are being like negatively impacted by the big three being so dominant. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're right. I wonder if there'll be a next big three. I mean, who would, who I would, see, I- who would you think it would be if there, if there was a next big, like after in, let's say 2026, Djokovic retires and you're looking at a completely open field now. All right. I'm putting Med. I'm putting Med. I'm putting Carlos Alcaraz. And maybe I'm gonna leave it at two for now because I don't see someone that has as much potential as they do coming on just quite yet. You know that's subject to change, but no one's really. You said you Medvedev know, and Alcaraz. Medvedev and Alcaraz. I think those two are just gonna battle it out for the next decade or so. I can. Yeah, I think. I think that's. I agree that it'll. I think they'll probably be the best two. But I think that it won't be the same level of dominance as like the big three. I think like they'll win the majority of the tournaments probably. But I think you'll see other guys sneak out like a grand slam here and there. Yeah, and that's just part of it. You know, that happened happened during the big threes reign. It's going to happen again. I think, but I think it's going to be like different. I think, I think we like when you look at the big three, like you look at the statistics of, of how many tournaments they won and it's like it's almost incomprehensible like they won like 80 percent of all of the grand slams versus if you're looking at i think after they retire i think you're going to be seeing oh they win like maybe maybe they win half of them maybe Mm -hmm. they win like 40 percent of them but I think it's going to be like, oh, Medvedev wins one in the year and Alcaraz wins one in the year and then two other guys win it. Some and like you cards. see, you, you see two wild cards in the year, but you don't see like they'll win maybe one per year each, but it won't be like, oh, they're winning everything and some guys sneaking one out every once in a while. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I mean, who knows? There could be the next... 18 19 year old we see in the next couple years who will just blow by like ben shelton he's got some good potential yeah i mean that was crazy that was was his first grand slam right this year in the australian yeah yeah yeah. Uh uh-huh that's a pretty wild run to take at your first grand slam another young gun who i think has immense potential is holger rune runa yeah he's kind of a head case though he (laughs) needs to (laughs) 
He needs to buckle down because he has the talent. He needs to he needs to wait for Djokovic to retire and then hire him as a coach. Hey, there we go. I think I think if Djokovic was like like if Djokovic was Sitsipas's coach, you'd have like the best player in the world. Like I think Sitsipas could become the best if he had Djokovic as a coach and Djokovic could teach him how to have like a better mindset. Because Sitsipas is just completely overtaken by his mindset. I would love to be a fly in the room after every Grand Slam that he's lost or every big oh. title that he's lost. Oh. I feel like his dad yells at him since he just <laughs> oh, sits there and God. takes it. I feel like he still treats him like he's a 13-year-old kid. He probably does, Oh man. which is just rough to think about. I know. You see him try to hit on Margot Robbie at the I did not. Open. That's oh, pretty man. crazy. That's yeah. that's a crazy call out for the yeah. city boss. He was uh, giving his speech. And they asked him who who he would like to see at the at the tournament, and he goes, "Oh, my favorite actress, Margot Robbie." Damn, if you all get her here soon. Damn. Credits to him though for shooting yeah. a shot. Shoot you know, we need, shoot we shot need more in the, personality. In the, in the public media. Yeah, we need more personality out of him. Yeah. You know, he's kind of a not boring player to watch, but he's very, you know, he yeah. keeps to himself. He's not really emotional out on the court. Yeah. Well, he 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 is, but it's it's not like. I feel like it's like more like intern, like he's just like getting mad at himself really yeah. aggressively. Yeah, there's a difference because yeah. he's not like, he's not like, you're not looking at McEnroe out there. Yeah, I know. Like, you cannot be serious. Yeah. <laughs> but jumping back to the big three, I think, I think they all have, you know, their own personalities in a way where you have the, the stoic Federer mindset where you will, you can't break him. You know, like I've only seen him angry a few times. And then you have Djokovic who lets out that big roar, you know, every yeah. time. And he's always that villain in the crowd, yeah. like putting his finger up to his ear, putting his yeah, finger exactly. up to his mouth. Like he, Djokovic likes to egg on and work the crowd. But I, yeah, no, he uses the crowd to his advantage. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he almost likes the crowd against him, you know? You, have you ever Just seen so he the, gets that extra fire? Have you ever fire? seen the, uh, the interview with, uh, with Medvedev after his match? Oh yeah. When he's talking about the crowd and he's like, you guys were all booing me and I just used that as energy. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're, you're the reason I won this match. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, that's such a good line. Cause he just silenced everyone in the crowd. I know. But I, on the contrary, I think in order for him, like if he wants to be up there in tennis, I think he needs to get the crowd on his side. I think, I, th I can relate joke early Djokovic to Medvedev now, you know, like the crowd generally roots against them and Djokovic didn't handle the crowd that well either when he was young, you know, but now he's kind of learned to work it. He gets it behind them now. I think Medvedev needs to do the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's I think it's just tough. I, I don't know what, like, I think people just hate, hate on Medvedev because of how, like, his his game kind of looks a little weird oh, it looks so awkward it does but he's so good so you're like you gotta respect it because mm. you're like he beats the best players in the world this way so we have to understand that these guys are this guy's top level i know i know how long how much longer do you think Djokovic's reign is gonna last how many more years does he have i think i was thinking about this earlier and i was i feel like what's gonna happen is Nadal's going to retire, I think, relatively soon, maybe like mm -hmm. next year. And I think what's, I think that Djokovic will continue to be dominant 
until like into like 2025, maybe like the beginning of 2025. Cause he's 35 right now. I think he can go until he's 37 because I think he, he takes such crazy good care of his body. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, so what were you saying? I was just going to say he can sustain it if he does, you know, treat his body like kind of like a Tom Brady, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So I think if he, I think he can sustain it. I think he maybe wins in the next, like, let's say the next 10 grand slams. I think he could win like five, but then I don't think he wins another one after that. Mm, I think maybe he, maybe he wins one. But like at that point, it would be crazy because he'd be like 39. I was going to say, and at that point, he's probably just playing in Grand Slams. He's not doing exactly. those little, little tournaments. You're seeing, you'd be seeing, you'd be seeing kind of what uh, Federer did near the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Where exactly. like he wouldn't play in the French. He wouldn't play in any ter- other tournaments. He would just show up to like the Australian Open in Wimbledon. Right. But an interesting point to Djokovic's reign. So his reign, I, I said, how long is his reign going to last? Not... How much longer is he going to play tennis? So how much longer is he going think, to be super dominant? Do you think he'll stop playing after he's he starts losing? I think I think he'll I think he'll do what kind of a lot of players do where yeah, where do you he draw plays he plays until like he goes a year or like m- like a year and a half without winning a grand slam. Mm-hmm. And then he announces, "Okay, this is going to be my grand my final one." Yeah, it's always sad when you see, you know, these great players who have early exits to no-name players and then you're just like, ah, they're on yeah, the but like, back you, end of their career. It's you got to be you, any any day now. You think about that, but it, it's crazy because you look at like in 2015 or so and it was like, okay, Federer hasn't won a Grand Slam since 2012 and Nadal is facing so many injuries like People were saying at that point, oh, this is the end of Federer and Nadal. Uh, we're going to have to say goodbye to this great thing. And then we got like an extra four years out of them. Mm-hmm. And we got some of the, some of maybe their best matches. I think my favorite match of all time came after people were saying that Federer was done. And which match was that? It was the 2017 Australian Open final. That was a great one. It was, it was such a spectacular match. I, I stayed up. Uh, until like 4 or 5 a.m. watching it. And it was just such a crazy match because I'm pretty sure that their seedings were like 17 versus 9 in the final. Because they they hadn't played in a while and they'd been coming off of injuries and all of a sudden they just come back and they're just at playing at the highest level. Yeah. No, it's great seeing them back out there. Yeah. So do you think over the next like after after they all retire, do you think it's going to return to kind of the the way it was before Federer's first Grand Slam? Like looking back at like the ten years, like nineteen ninety four to two thousand three, you're seeing like there were forty five percent of the winners of slams were unique people. There were nineteen different winners in forty slams, versus only nine different ones win over the next sixteen years during the Big Three era. Do you think it's going to go back to like? there being a bunch of different ones or like kind of like I was saying, or do you think it's, do you think that, that Medvedev and, and Alcaraz are going to be that dominant? So I do think it's going to go back to what you said, how there's going to be a variety of people winning. 
I think that's at least how it's going to start out. But then as Medvedev and Alcaraz get older, I do think that they're going to start grabbing the majority of these Grand Slam titles. That's 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 kind of interesting, too, because that kind of relates to that idea of like, oh, tennis players peak at, what is it, 24? Mm-hmm. That's what they used to say. But like now it seems that experience is almost the important thing rather than the youth and the athleticism. Like, do you think that do you think that we're like tennis is becoming more of a experience and mental game rather than like just being able to hit the ball harder or spin it, spin it more than your opponent? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, you know, the fact that Carlos Alcaraz is young, he's, you know, gritty. He doesn't let anything pass him. I think he's only going to get better. I think he's going to, I think he's going to stay, you know, similar athletic ability for the next three or four years. But then after that, I think that's going to start going downhill. But I think his game is just going to improve and improve because of that experience. So, you know, you asked me if tennis players, will they peak at 24? Who knows? I think peaking is peaking as an overall player versus peaking in, you know, your athletic capability is different because I think there's a trade-off that you may get at a certain point where you lack the athletic ability, but then you gain the the experience and the tennis knowledge to take your career to the next level. I agree. I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's tough to consider. I think that you you have to look at the player of who it is to understand whether or not it's going to be like they get better with age or they get worse with age. Because if you look at certain players, you're like, this guy is entirely, it is weird though. Cause you look at you, I feel like you would look at Nadal and say, this guy is an entirely physical based player, but somehow he's able to continue to play and be at a high level at such a young age, but he's got to be just an anomaly. Mm-hmm. But I think with most, with most players, if you look at them and you're like, this guy's really don't like the only reason he's good is because he hits the ball super hard and he runs really fast. Those are the guys that obviously aren't going to be able to perform better or unless they change up their game. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, I kind of get a little bit of that from Rublev. You know, he will sit at that baseline and just rip forehands and, you know, get those drop shots. It's fun to watch when when Rublev is just locked in on his forehand and he's just ah, picking a corner. Yeah, exactly. Just all out. and, And he swings like as hard as he can at every shot and you can hear it <laughs> yeah it's great but, but i yeah no like i would he, like to see him come up more though and follow these great forehands up with some volleys I yeah, think I, he, yeah i think, I think he, he stays back too much i agree i think he's a little i think he sometimes gets like comfortable because he trusts his baseline shots so much that he will get like because he can beat so many people from the baseline so i think if he wants to take it to the next level, he has to kind of adjust his game so that he can beat these top-level players. Yeah, Medvedev gave him the work. Yeah. But, all right, how about we jump into segments here? All righty, sounds good. All right, so what's new? Okay, well, my what's, what's new, new in the tennis world, Aiden? In the what's tennis going world? On? My, my, uh, my what's new is Alcaraz is back. Like, mm. It's crazy. He he returned from this injury and just first tournament back just runs through everyone and just wins the final. Goes to the second one, runs through everyone, 
meets Cam Nori again, second time in a row, and then he loses in three. I thought that was a lock. I thought he looked so hot going into that. I was like, hundred percent, it's a lock. He's he's gonna win this tournament, and then he loses in a great match. And uh, creds to Nori here. Yeah, massive creds to Nori. And then the funniest part I think about it was they then go to uh, the Mexican Open and they just both pull out because <laughs> I think I think they were probably expecting to lose earlier on in at least one of the two tournaments. Yeah. And so they were like, we can't do three finals in a row. Yeah. Well, that would have been pretty crazy, though, if they had I would have loved that. to see that. Just three tournaments, just just what do you what do you even call that the south america triple it's like the it's like the, the sunshine double uh different surfaces though interesting yeah yeah the the mexican open was on hard surface whereas the other ones were on clay maybe they just they were like yeah we don't want to play hard clay. yeah <laughs> like oh, i'm too tired yeah what man. about you what what, do you, what did you see enjoy. that was new uh new so dennis shop had a perfect set he served 24 what, what do you mean perfect set he served a perfect set he had 24 straight service points that's incredible insane i know and talk about head cases i who would have thought he yeah you would think it would be like isner right yeah but that's crazy i mean he was locked in that's that's got to be rarer than a perfect game in baseball almost like when's the last time this has happened i I can't think of ever hearing about that yeah i can't either that's that's a pretty insane thing to happen i know i hope i hope he starts i, I want to see him win a slam i, I think like yeah. him a lot, i'd like to see him win a slam that would yeah. be that'd be cool he needs to buckle down mentally though do you think he's the better of the two like young canadians no i used to but i think Oje alaseem has just exploded it's, onto the scene ali seems younger right yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I actually think, know his agent that's Funny pretty cool story about that yeah, i was down in miami I'm talking to this kid, you know, he told me he played college tennis at University of Miami. I'm like, oh, we should hit. And then we got into talking. He said he's from Canada. I'm like, oh, so you not, you must know FAA. He says, dude, yeah, he's my client. I represent like, oh. him. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's pretty crazy. Let me, uh, let me get a hitting sesh with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're like, oh, we should play. We should yeah. play. <laughs> that's All pretty right. wild, though. All right, bet of the week. So this week we're going to do just a general bet because uh, there's no tournaments going on right now, kind of a slower period before Indian Wells. So I will start off. I found this line, Alcaraz, one total Grand Slam at uh, plus 325. I think he'll get one. I think that's a lot. For 2023? For 2023, yeah. I'm going to throw a hundo at that one and then – Let's see what you got. Yeah, I uh, I went for a, a different player. I said that, similar kind of what we've been talking about, I think Medvedev gets a slam this year. And I think it's going to happen all the way at the end. I think it's going to happen at the U.S. Open. Ooh, cutting it close. And uh, I it's a plus 3.6. So I think I think it's a reasonable bet to make. I think mm-hmm. that you, you just saw him. He just played great against... Djokovic and Rublev and he looked spectacular let me ask you this though do you like Medvedev as a player because for me betting on someone I have to like them too you know like I I should separate emotion from reason but you know I enjoy watching Alcaraz play so I'm gonna get behind him it's like I can't I can't bet on Medvedev 
it's like rooting for a, a a fantasy player when they're against your favorite team. Yeah, yeah. It, so what do you what you like him? I think I do like Medvedev because I think that he's misunderstood. I remember a couple years ago, you actually showed me that uh, interview with him, where he talked about how he just can't handle how much just hate he gets for no good reason. Yeah, wasn't he going to walk away from the game? He said, yeah, I'm only going to play tournaments in Russia. Yeah, he said, I'm only going to play tournaments in Russia or ones that I feel like playing. Yeah, no, they treated him terribly there. And I, I, I respected that so much. I've liked him so much more ever since I saw that interview. And so I, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him win a slam. Then again, mm-hmm. I think if he's playing against Djokovic, I'd probably still be rooting for Djokovic just because I think it would be cool for him to get up to 23 majors. Right, yeah. These are just fun fun little bets we'll have to check in on periodically. Exactly. All right, match of the week. Who was yours? My match of the week was uh, Deminar versus Tommy Paul. Oh. Just happened. And the demon. It was so crazy. to. It's so fun to watch Deminar because he's so... He's just such a scrappy player. And so if you watch this match, it's... I really highly recommend it because you see so many points where it looks like Tommy Paul has such the upper hand in the point. And then all of a sudden, Deminar gets it back. And then he gets another one back. And then all of a sudden, he hits a spectacular shot. And you're like, oh, how do you get that out of it? And then all of a sudden, Tommy Paul's on the defense. And then Deminar finishes the point And you're like, what just happened? Yeah, that's also big for Deminar's first first title at that level. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see him. Yeah, and it's cool. It's always cool to see someone win their first like title like that because it it could be it could be the only one he wins in his career. Yeah, or it could just open the floodgates. It could. I mean, you look at like someone like Jack Sock. Like Jack Sock, I'm pretty sure has won an ATP 1000. Jeez. I think he won the the Paris Masters, but it's. It's insane to see like he went he won that one tournament he was ranked I think in the top 10 in the world and mm-hmm. that was the only one he yeah. that was the only big thing he No, everyone won. thought everyone thought he was going to save American tennis. Yeah. I remember he, he I the first time I heard about Jack Sock was he he won this tournament called uh Kalamazoo which uh-huh. is a junior tournament and the under 18 winner gets an automatic bid into the US Open. And then he like went in there, like won like his first round match or something like that. Wow. And I was like, this guy's, I was like, this guy's going to be the next big thing ever. Yeah. Funny story about Jack Sock. My dad, he actually got to see um, the French Open and he watched Jack Sock play back in, must have been 20, 2015. And he was, he kept double faulting. And then he screams to himself, hit the ball in the fucking square <laughs> and so now my dad tells that story every single time jack That's sock great. is is playing on tv oh you know i saw him at the french <laughs> Open. yes dad i know yeah no it's funny it's funny when you hear a story like for the fifth time and you say you know this time i'm gonna let him have it yeah. you're like oh yeah. wait you saw him play and wait what did he say again yeah exactly <laughs> you just you just let him go with that one you're like i'm feeling i'm feeling generous today uh, uh, at least the story hasn't changed over time. Exactly. The fish like, got this, yeah, big, the, the, it was uh, this big. The fifth time he was actually playing against him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. So my match of the week is Davidovich Fokina versus Rublev. Rublev saved five match points in the second set. He was down uh, 6-1 in the, 
in the second set tiebreaker. I'm sure Davidovich Fokina thought, okay, you know, just going to serve it out. And then you got Rublev coming in clutch, which I love to see because I'm not a big Davidovich Fokina fan. See, he was down, he's down 5 1 in the second set. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you said he was down 6 1. I was like, I don't think that's how. No, 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 no. He was down 6 1 in the tiebreak. Oh, in the tiebreak. Tie in the tiebreak. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was sorry. So confused. <laughs> I should have specified. I, I, I misheard. I misheard. No, you're good. You're good. So, second set tiebreak. He's down 6 1, and he ends up winning. Nine seven comes back, and then he wins the third set seven six also in a tiebreaker. That's insane. I mean, I feel, I feel like Davidovich Fokina in that second set when you're up six one, right? You know, you have match point five match points, and your opponent comes back. Let's say six four. Are you your back is against the wall? Even though you still have you know the upper hand, you. I don't know how you come back from that. That's just I think I think the toughest thing about when you're up six one in a second set tiebreak, like you have match point and you're up that much, and he's like, I can play loose. Mm-hmm. I can play loose. I have I have all this ex, extra like points I can just lose. So you I feel like sometimes you see players like they, they go for like the winner shot. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll be up six one and they'll hit a wild shot because they want to just end the match. And so I think that that may have partially like it, that could have impacted how he was playing, or he could have been like just let him like my my opponents up against the wall, let him make a mistake. Right. Well, that speaks to Rublev's mental fortitude, you know. Like, yeah, I feel like at that point, I'm probably checking out. You know, I, I I'm thinking I'm I, the game's already lost. You know, I'm gonna go home. You know, get in the locker room, shower up. But he stuck in there, and he did it against Rune too in the Aussie Open. He was down match point, I think three match points, and he ended up coming back to win. So this dude, he's uh he's notorious for that. What uh what you should take away is don't take match points against Rublev for granted. Yeah, but I mean also like you gotta give Fokina some credit for that because it it would be so easy for after you lose the second set to kind of just fall apart. And, that's true You're, and be like oh i lost this set i was so close and just be kind of locked into that for even like like the first few games of the next set and all of a sudden it just slips away mm-hmm. and no, lose, you could lose the, the third set six six two i know i remember last year i was playing in uh in my miami tournament and the first set ended up going to a tiebreaker i lost that and then i was pretty much done the rest of the match i knew like i was so yeah. beat up after that but if I had won that set or that first set in the tiebreaker, I knew that I could, you know, find the energy to close out the match. But after that, I was like, dude, I can't even play a third set if I wanted. So yeah, it's kind of lost. Yeah, I feel there. like I feel like you see that in a lot of tournaments. Like you can almost, if you look, it's sometimes interesting if you like look at the way a match is going. You see like the way something happened. And you're like, oh, I bet this guy's broken and he's going to lose the next set just 6-1. Mm-hmm. And, and then it happens because you see, oh, he just lost this set and it was like 13-11 in the tiebreak. And he's like, yeah. oh my God, I put so much into that set and then just got nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. No, I know. That's one of the harsh realities of tennis is like, once a set is over, it's over. Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, no matter yeah. how hard you tried in that set, it's just done. But then you also see times where like the guy goes up 13 like wins at 13 11 
and then like takes his foot off the gas and then just loses the next set in like 20 minutes. Yeah, I know. I hate to see that. Like, too. like, oh, seven, six, one, six. And you're like, oh, well. All right. And that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.